welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Every week, decisions are made across Maine that affect the future of our environments. Lawmakers in Augusta propose or debate new bills. Mainers speak up on proposals made by corporations or state agencies. Clean energy projects are launched, or communities take action to address threats to clean air or water or open spaces that they cherish. Since 1959, NRCM has been on the front lines, tracking these developments and tapping into the power of Maine people, science, and the law. NRCM does this to protect and enhance the nature of Maine. So every two weeks, we'll sit down with advocates and experts to discuss some of the most important stories you need to know about and what lies ahead. Thank you for listening as we share our view from the front lines. So if you didn't know it already, the week of September 27th is Drive Electric Week in the U.S. And I'd encourage you to head over to our blog where we've posted a really great guest piece from News Center Maine meteorologist Keith Carson about his experience as a new EV owner. Uh, And it's a really great first person perspective. He calls electric cars and trucks a no brainer for the future of automobiles. And he says he often tells people that even if you take the climate change part out of the equation, EVs are still a superior technology. They're faster, there's no oil changes, no spark plugs, they're quiet, you can fill up at home, uh, et cetera. So I'm Colin Durant, NRCM's Advocacy Director, and I'm pleased to welcome back to the pod our Climate and Clean Energy Director, Jack Shapiro. Hey, Jack. Hey, Colin, great to be here. And also joining us today uh, is the second part of our climate dream team. You may have just, if you're a supporter of ours, you may have gotten an email. We've got Jack, Rebecca, and now um, our Climate and Clean Energy Outreach Coordinator, Josh Caldwell. Welcome, Josh. Great, great to be here, Colin. Thanks. Um, so given that it's Drive Electric Week, and we just saw a really big announcement from Ford uh, in the last couple of days about their plans to electrify, uh, I wanted to sit down with Josh and Jack to talk it talk in this episode about some good news on the climate front, the, the electric car revolution that seems to be coming at us faster than anyone expected. But first, as we do every time, I wanted to take a quick look at recent environmental news from across Maine. Uh, we were sad to read that Maine's iconic puffins, which everyone loves to go and look at, are suffering due to the impacts of climate change. Survival rate of chicks plummeted this year due to a warming Gulf of Maine that made it harder for the birds to feed their young in an unusually wet July that harmed chicks as they were hatching. Of course, warming oceans and more extreme weather have been directly linked to climate change. And unfortunately, that means that species like puffins could shift where they live over time. That's not great news, but here's some good news. Uh, Governor Janet Mills announced that 28,000 heat pumps have been installed across Maine this year, double the rate from last year. And so that's a really exciting milestone in the goal to install more than 100,000 statewide. We've got a couple in our house and they're fantastic, both in the winter and and also in the summer now that we're seeing hotter, more humid weather. Um, Finally, in case you missed it, Maine Public had a really important story about the Passamaquoddy tribe soon regaining control of the site of an ancient fishing village located at a remote lake in Medibumps, which in the tribe's language means place of many alewives. Uh, It's taken a really collaborative effort to clean up the site. The former owner was once called Maine's worst polluter. So definitely, if you didn't hear or read that story, go check that out. 
Okay, now let's shift gears. Actually, you don't shift gears in electric vehicles, do you? I guess you kind of do. I don't know. We'll find out from Josh and Jack, but let's shift gears to electric cars and trucks. Um, as I said, the electric car revolution is here. It's moving faster than, than many have anticipated. And Jack, I just wanted to start with you by giving us some of the big picture context here, the state of play. Yeah, thanks, Colin. And uh, I can see that you're not holding back with the uh, car puns here. So maybe I'll throw a few in myself um, if it's Please not too do. much. Um, but yeah, big picture, this is important. Um, this transition is really important because the transportation sector is the biggest source of greenhouse gas emissions, um, the pollution that causes climate change, um, both here in Maine and uh, across the country. Here in Maine, it's more than half of our state's emissions. Um, so Switching from combustion cars and trucks to zero emission vehicles isn't the only thing that we need to do to bring these emissions down, um, but it's a really big piece. Um, Maine's climate action plan, uh, Maine won't wait, sets some pretty ambitious goals for us to trans transition to uh, zero emission vehicles. Uh, those goals are to have uh, 41,000 EVs on the road by 2025 and 219,000 uh, EVs on the road by 2030. Now, these are really ambitious goals, but the good news and, and what we're here to talk about today is that the transition is starting to accelerate. Um, manufacturers are making more and more models available. Uh, the ranges of these vehicles are expanding and, and sales are, are starting to rise. Um, I just saw data this week that EVs made up 5% of vehicles sold across the country in July, which is almost double the share from just last year. Um, and this is a trend that we expect to continue. Nice. And so let's just talk about that announcement from Ford. You know, when they announced their F-150 Lightning electric truck with the frunk, I love the frunk. Um, uh, we discussed it here on the pod with Pete and, you know, he called it a game changer. But now it really seems that they're doubling down on that, even tripling down on that with a major announcement that they're going to invest $11 billion to build two manufacturing plants in Kentucky and Tennessee so why is that so important? Yeah, yeah, I think this, this reinforces a, a few key things. And I, I think, you know, three, three things that I'll say. One is that this is real money. Uh, Ford and the other automakers expect that electric cars and trucks are the future for their companies. And, and we should be clear-eyed here. You know, this is not because giant automakers have any environmental commitment necessarily. Um, but they clearly believe, and they're putting their money—they're uh, putting their money on the table—that these are going to be superior products for their customers. It's what customers are going to want, um, and they need to uh, be competing because um, it's not just Ford. There's other um, uh, Volkswagen, uh, GM, um, other other—you know—these these huge manufacturers are are making similar uh, making similar investments. The second thing I'll say is it. It means that there are going to be electric vehicles for for everyone really soon, um, not just uh, compact hatchbacks for for folks in cities, uh, but trucks for rural Mainers and really cool electric minivans for families like mine with with two kids who need to fit a stroller in the back. Um, I saw a uh, a, a, a mock-up of uh, a new electric minibus that VW is working on for the next couple of years, which I got my got my eye on when when it's time. Uh, but so this do is, I. This, that thing's awesome. That thing's but, awesome. But this is this is all coming. And and I think the last point I'll make is is that this is another example of the economic opportunity of the clean energy transition, transitioning away from fossil fuels, making our homes more efficient, building out renewables like wind and solar. 
these are all things that have to be built. And, and that means that not only do we get the enormous climate and health benefits that come along with getting rid of carbon pollution and, and all the other combustion com pollution that comes along with burning fossil fuels, but we also get a whole lot of jobs and economic benefits as well. Nice. Well, so Josh, I want to bring you in now. You've been working with uh, some of our partners to host two uh, ride and drive events this month. Th these are opportunities for people to learn more about EVs, how they work, uh, even get a chance to drive them, uh, which is a lot of fun. Actually, I got the chance to drive one a couple of years ago when we had a bolt at the office and it's a lot of fun. Um, can you just tell us what the goal of these events are? Yeah, they are a lot of fun. This was actually my first time this last weekend driving an electric vehicle as well, and it's, it's zippy. Um, so first and foremost, the intent of the, event, uh, the events are to get people in the cars and to understand that they perform better, that they're great to drive, and that they're a lot of fun. Um, we also want to make sure that folks are able to talk to other owners that um, own electric vehicles. People really love to talk about their cars, and I want to mention here as well that a couple years back, um, we did a survey that spoke to some electric vehicle owner, owners and overwhelmingly over 90% of them would recommend their vehicles to other Mainers, which is a great sign. Uh, we also wanna make sure to be answering frequently asked questions from folks and uh, responding to the growing interest by connecting people with the right resources to make um, decisions about their transportation futures. Nice, so what I really hope to do is dig into some answers to some of those frequently asked questions that people, people have. First off, I'm curious about um, what the question you hear most from people is. Totally. I think the first thing is cost. You know, when are these things going to be more affordable? And that's a fair question. Uh, right now, the upfront cost of an electric vehicle is typically more expensive than a gas-powered vehicle. But it is important to remember that long-term savings from owning an electric vehicle, because you don't have to uh, spend so much on maintenance and gas, uh, really add up. There are some rebates available as well um, through Efficiency Maine. And there are a lot more incentives to come soon uh, via the clean transportation roadmap that Jack referenced earlier, and also hopefully through some federal funding that's coming in. There's also new models coming out like WILD. And uh, as Jack again mentioned, the ratio of electric vehicles to gas cars being sold um, is tilting towards electric vehicles and cars are really flying off the lot. Um, I think the second question I get are um, most frequently is, is, what are the range of these vehicles and where can I charge in the state? Um, there's a growing map of chargers around the state, and there are several pilot programs working to install more public chargers that are currently in the works. Um, and the range for an electric vehicle is more than adequate for daily use. It's getting better every year, um, and it hasn't been an issue for, for most of the folks that I've talked to. Um, and finally, I just want to say that a lot of these answers can be um, found at Efficiency Maine's new suite of educational resources. Um, you can head on over to efficiencymain.com slash EV. They have uh, main humorous Tim Sample walking you through some stuff, um, as well as a lot of uh, written materials that you can reference for charging and driving an electric vehicle. Nice. I, yeah, I was just looking at that site the other day. They did a really great job on it and expanding all, all the resources that they're providing. Um, so I was on this email chain with you where you gave a fascinating, well, I thought fascinating answer um, to uh, a member's question about whether or not heating uh, your car, an electric car in the winter impacted um, range. Can you, can you tell us what you told that member? Sure, it is, it is uh, fascinating. So using excess heat from internal combustion engines has historically definitely been a helpful way to heat cars in the main winter. 
Um, but electric vehicle designers have actually found a way to get around the lack of a combustion engine through these heat pumps that control cabin temperature, uh, actually using the difference between a refrigerant and the outside air. Uh, and this method uses a really negligible amount of energy relative to the electric vehicle's range capacity. So um, it really doesn't reduce an electric vehicle's efficacy in, in colder temperatures. Um, so range can vary slightly from um, season to season and in different temperature conditions as it can with a gas powered car, um, but it will not impact range enough to change your driving habits in different driving seasons. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think that's really a major question that I know a lot of in people who are interested in EVs and especially in Maine have is about winter performance. What else do you tell people who, who bring this up or what else have you heard from, you know, EV owners about their experience in the winter? Sure. And, and it is a fair question because people know that batteries in general are susceptible to cold and, and work less well in the cold. But electric vehicle technology has really advanced beyond the point where this actually impacts performance because they're being made for cold climates throughout the world. Um, a benefit of electric vehicles is that you can heat them up in your garage with no air concerns because there's no exhaust. Um, mm -hmm. And models coming out today do assure that there is no significant impact on range uh, based on temperature. And I would say even better, electric vehicles have more power immediately available, um, meaning that handling and traction uh, can actually be even better in bad weather conditions. Um, so it should be a benefit to main drivers. Nice. That's good to hear. And so finally, um, I just wanted to wrap up um, by saying that, you know, electric cars and trucks, uh, anybody who's been in a meeting with me internally <laughs> knows that this is one of my favorite issues to bring up. But electric cars and trucks are just, you know, obviously one response to this really huge challenge of curbing pollution from the transportation um, sector. And I know NRCM, you guys are also working uh, to think about how we can give people better, healthier options beyond just the automobile to get around. So can you just give us a quick overview of what that work looks like? Yeah, totally. I mean, Maine has a lot of work to do in that regard. Uh, as you know, a, a big part of the solution is investing to all, in alternatives to cars and trucks, um, as we're a very car and truck dependent state right now. Um, we spend less than a dollar per person per year on public transit in Maine, which is in the lowest tier of state spending for public transit. So that really needs to be improved. Um, the two things we're really looking forward to, one, the clean transportation roadmap that we mentioned previously. Um, it will really invest in public transit and investigate the ways in which public transit can become a larger part of our day-to-day -day lives, uh, as well as active transportation, bike and pedestrian improvements, and smarter community design so that we're not having to go as far for, for the essentials. Uh, I would encourage folks to check out the governor's office on policy innovation in the future, uh, where you can contribute publicly to the development of that, of that roadmap. Um, we're also very hopeful and keeping our fingers crossed that significant federal funding will soon be directed towards not only electric vehicles, but also towards uh, improving our public transit systems, shoring up our pedestrian safety and building those more um, multimodal infrastructure systems that will provide for all ways of getting around, not just in, in vehicles. Um, the last thing I'll say here is that I'm, uh, we're excited to be sponsoring and attending the upcoming Grow Smart Summit, uh, which is titled Turning Climate Action into Economic Opportunity, Smart Growth Guidance for Maine Communities. That's taking place on November 4th, and I think it'll be a great venue um, to be able to learn a little bit more about what um, growing in a smart way means and how we can incorporate transportation solutions uh, into that model. Nice, nice. That's going to be awesome. And I know Smart Growth Maine was one of the voices that you that you worked with 
um, among many throughout the state, um, calling for more federal investment in infrastructure, roads, bridges, transportation, transit. So I'm um, looking forward to the, your takeaways from that, that conference. You also mentioned active transportation. I am personally really excited that the state put out an RFP for their first active transportation plan. So beyond that roadmap you talked about, I think that's going to hopefully give us a, some good ideas for how we can expand bike and ped um, infrastructure as well. Um, so, you know, I'll jump off my soapbox on that, but thank you. Uh, thank you both Josh and Jack for joining me. Uh, thanks Jack. Yeah. Thank you, Colin. I'm sure we'll have you back on soon. And Josh, thanks. I think this is your first time, right? Yeah. Thank you for, it was a blast. Thank you, thank you for joining <laughs> us. And I got to say, Josh has been cranking out some really wonderful blog posts as he sort of explores different parts of Maine and different organizations in, in Maine. And so I just really encourage folks to, um, to go check out that on our blog too. His blog posts have been really great. So thanks um, for that plug, Colin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, so I'm not going to tell you, but you can find out what he saw when he went to Monhegan Island, which is kind of exciting. Um, so I'll just tease that out there. So thanks again, guys. Um, you know, we've got good family friends who just got a, a used Chevy Bolt. They're absolutely loving it uh, for getting around town and for commuting. And actually, the husband is a contractor. And I was just talking with him the other day about how excited he is about Ford's Lightning truck and the opportunities there. So it's great to just sort of see that sort of shift as, as the market continues to change and as we've talked about. So before we end, I just wanted to hit on a few things we're going to be watching out for. Of course, in D.C., Congress continues to negotiate that Build Back Better Act and the reconciliation package. And we could see a vote in the House of Representatives soon or not. So we'll, we're going to be tracking that closely. As we've discussed before, as I just mentioned, we're joining with people across Maine and calling for our delegation to not, not miss this once in a life opportunity, especially to take bold climate action. So you know, Josh, Jack, um, our federal program director, Emmy, are going to be tracking that closely. We'll be keeping you updated. Um, October 5th is the filing deadline for political action campaigns in the state here to disclose their fundraising and spending. So we're going to get a sense of how much more CMP and Hydro-Quebec have dumped into that desperate political campaign they're running to defend the CMP corridor. They've already spent nearly $40 million, which is just astounding. And in case you missed it, Portland Press-Herald columnist Bill Nemitz had a great column calling CMP's scare tactics in this campaign, political hokum of the highest order. So there you go. Um, this is, of course, all a preview to November when Maine voters are going to get to vote to stop the CMB corridor by voting yes on, on question one. I know people have a lot of questions about that question uh, and what it does, what it doesn't. Um, the bottom line is that's our Maine voters' chance to stop uh, the CMP corridor, but you know, I know that um, Pete and I are planning to discuss that more in a future episode uh, that'll happen before the election, so we can dig into that a little more for people. Well, okay, that's it. As always, thanks so much for listening, uh, and if you've got any feedback for me, you can feel free to reach out to me at colin at nrcm.org. Of course, if you like what you heard, please share it with your friends and family. Give us that review. Uh, happy fall. I hope you get out there and pick some apples or enjoy some apple cider donuts or apple cider or whatever you like to do in the fall. Thanks again, Jack and Josh. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Maine Environment Frontline Voices. If you enjoyed this episode, 
You can subscribe to our podcast or leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and other podcast listening apps. To learn more about NRCM, please visit nrcm.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at NRCM Environment. Until next time, thanks for your interest, attention, and involvement in the collective efforts by Maine people to protect the unique woods, waters, and wildlife of our state. Thanks again.